growth pains. Hi everyone, welcome to this new episode of Growth Pains. Today we'll be talking about topics such as dealing with imposter syndrome, keeping up with professional social media, balancing short-term and long-term initiatives, and measuring brand marketing efforts. My guest today is Karishma Rayaratnam. She's normally based in Toronto, but she's joining us today from her home country of India. She got stuck there during the pandemic. And Karishma recently joined as the head of growth for Chartmogul, a much-loved tool in the SaaS world. And she used to be before in another one that is a, a, a classic in the SaaS world, which is uh, Chargebee, for almost five years. And now she also advises early stage startups as a mentor at Techstars. So I'm really happy to have you, Karishma. How are you? Thanks so much, Ignatia. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm doing good, thanks. How are you doing? Really good, really good. Amsterdam, it's, uh, it's I was letting you know, like a kind of stormy and all over the place. But overall, I think, uh, I don't know, it's just, it's just what it is. <laughs> Let's get right <laughs> away to it. We have a, a little bit of a tour of false at the beginning of this, so I hope you're ready. Most of these are going to be around sure. uh, growth marketing, which is your, your specialty. So as the head of growth in a B2B business, you call the shots across the entire funnel. Marketing, sales, and customer success should understand that. True or false? Um, I'd say false i think it's it's a very collaborative thing uh, with marketing yeah. sales and customer success um, even though you know growth is a super broad term i think uh, to be successful in the role you need to be able to collaborate with other leaders across the funnel um, and yeah so i so i'd say false to that one absolutely i was hoping you'd say that so good <laughs> <laughs> let's go with the other one experimentation tempo it's crucial the faster you experiment the more likely you are to grow true or false Absolutely true. I think um, getting into that growth mindset to run experiments fast and learn how to fail fast as well is extremely important, regardless of which um, you know role you're in inside of a fast-growing startup. Do you think, though, sometimes like this can lead to people a little bit obsessing about the tempo, and all of a sudden, just they just start testing things that are not even worth testing to begin with? I think, yeah, I think that's a definite danger. I think before deciding what experiment to run, there needs to be some kind of research into why running that experiment is important and also like a prioritization matrix, right? Yeah. It's not possible. It's very easy to take on like a hundred things, but not necessarily see them to completion. Um, so it's important, I think, when you're balancing so many things in a fast growing startup to pick your battles and pick the ones that are going to move the needle the most. Um, and I think once you get into that prioritization mindset to pick the problems which will, you know, which, which if you solve them will impact the business the most, mm -hmm. then running experiments to solve that problem is, is like the right approach to take it forward. Absolutely. Okay, good one. So next one, uh, most growth teams over-engineer marketing, keeping things simple pays off. Absolutely, again. <laughs> so this might be, I think, contradictory to the experiment point which we just had, but I yeah. also do think that at the same time, uh, it's really important to keep things simple. And um, I think marketing, like if you go back to like some of the best marketing campaigns we've seen historically, they have been extremely simple concepts. Uh, it's just creative minds that have been put to the test and come up with really like interesting ways to, you know, solve a particular problem or like come up with a specific campaign. So I yeah. think simplicity is really important. Okay. Yeah, because we all get obsessed about like becoming scientists all of a sudden and, and you forget about that people... Uh, our audience doesn't perceive it that way, right? Our audience is much simpler than our complicated MarTech setups that we are pushing that message. Absolutely. With, you know? 
exactly i think it's important to remember that at the end of the day your customer is is the is a person right and so to be able to relate to them you need to be able to think like you're speaking to a person and simplifying i think simplifying things really helps with that okay last let's see in saas the sales led approach is old news product led is the only way forward true or false uh, what was that product led is sorry okay so in saas the sales led approach is old news and product led is the only way forward true or false Ah, uh, got it. False. Uh, I strongly believe that product-led, like sales-led approaches, are not dead. Like I, I think most SaaS companies come to a point uh, where you know if they are super successful with running product-led approaches, yeah, they can hit a wall uh, with just product-led approach alone, right? At some point, you do need human beings assisting the funnel, especially as you sell to uh, mid-market customers and sell to like larger deal sizes. um you know you're going to be dealing with multiple buyers inside of an organization and you need to be able to have one person who brings all these buyers together or uh, to close a particular account and so i think it's super important for most saas companies today to have a product led approach and have a strong product led approach but also have a sales team that you know really complements that and have these two motions kind of working together well yeah 100% i absolutely agree i i added that in because i i feel like You know, when there's a new kid in block, in this case, like product-led growth or whatever is trending these days, RevOps, whatever we want to call it, everybody's into it and yeah. everybody's like, hey, this is the way everything else is the past, right? So no more funnels, now it's flywheels and all of this kind of like collective uh, madness. And we tend to forget that yeah. like it's a combination of everything. It's it's not one or the other, right? So that I, I thought it was super yeah. interesting to highlight. Absolutely. Yeah, I think in SaaS generally people tend to take like opinions, you know, these like very definitive opinions on like what's new and what's hot and we tend yeah. to believe that like okay, this is the way forward, but I don't think that's necessarily the case because it a lot of these marketing techniques are completely unique to each individual business, right? So what works for me as a playbook may not work uh for somebody else and I think it's it's totally fine and we need to embrace all these different ideologies and figure out like, you know, which one works the best for us. and our business. Yeah, also a lot of these are just rebranding, right? Like if you look at all of these things, like th there's nothing truly new. Like we've always made like good onboardings and products that would serve people, yeah. right? All of a sudden somebody comes and says I I'll call this this, I'll release a book about it, and it's like a new thing, right? Conversational marketing, uh, revops, all of these kind of right. terms that go around. But there's nothing really new in that mix, right? And if you just go crazy over it and apply it without thinking, uh then you just end up like not adding a lot of value okay so absolutely let's get to the to the first question to start on the pains topic so let, i want to start with something that you are really really bad at when it comes to your work what's uh what's the top of your head <laughs> so i think this one is super recent um i mean con considering the pandemic and everything but i think like i'm finding it super hard to keep up with all the social um kind of things that you know companies organize apart from work i think like uh -huh. you know businesses are trying to do this because it's obviously like everyone wants to keep employees engaged and it's really important to do that because when you're working remotely without an office where you can have a coffee with a colleague it's like really uh it can be really isolating right and uh you know our bosses have it in our best interest to kind of get everyone together in different kinds of meetups yeah. and even virtual events that happen but like i feel like i have so much zoom fatigue now that i'm not able to keep up with that and i wish that i could do it more because uh especially as a team leader you know that it's important to organize these things yourself uh for your team because it's important Absolutely. to have that face to face 
because otherwise i think a lot of conversations just get to the point about work and there's no like room for interaction about anything else so trying to balance that and get better at it <laughs> yeah it's not all results right at some point you when you, especially you started recently right and then your new job and when you come in a new job you you want to show right away results and so on and and you tend to forget sometimes about that aspect and it's a it's one to keep yeah. up with you guys yeah, are also you, remote right most of you are, are remote at chart mogul as well so that's uh that's also one layer of challenge to that besides the pandemic you just yeah. in different countries yeah exactly like one big thing for chart mogul before was that like before the pandemic was even though it was a fully distributed team everyone would get together at one place like either in europe or somewhere else to kind of see each other and do like an annual retreat and this year that was cancelled because of the pandemic so that's been like a bummer for everyone you know uh, because yeah. there's been no opportunity especially for the new hires to meet each other so we're hoping things settle down soon and we can do this all right so when we were discussing your your pains through email earlier one of the things you mentioned and this is something that we we've touched upon in in another podcast but it's like imposter syndrome right and i think Uh, even though we briefly touch upon it, uh, I wanted to go a bit deeper on this one. Um, also, because it's from the side of a female that I think is also really interesting. Uh, because mostly I've interviewed, I talk about this with, with guys in previous ep episodes. So, um, what's your what's your, your story with imposter syndrome? Is that something that you've dealt with from like a long time, or is it something that you find recent? Yeah. What's the story with that? I think it's definitely something that I've dealt with for a long time like going back right to high school right like not necessarily believing that I could like for instance if there were things that that I had to do on stage you know in yeah. front of a large audience I used to have innate stage fright uh, to get up there and like present any of my work so that started in school it got a lot better when I was in university and I was exposed to like more kinds of people and I you know built up my self confidence um but in the workspace I think it manifested in a slightly different way where uh you know i think i would push myself to kind of um not shy away from sharing my work and maybe you know presenting publicly and things like that but at the same time at the back of your head when you're in a high growth startup i think it's very natural because your role keeps changing to question yourself yeah. right uh, and that's it's it's nobody's fault it's just because the company is growing at such a fast pace right like so one day you're doing this job and then the next day the company needs something else and you're trying to wear this other hat right uh, but it also means that you need to find people who can specialize in specific skills and hire them for that skill um and but it, in this whole like chaotic process you do tend to question yourself and your skills you know along the way yeah. um and so that's something that i think like if you're working with any fast growing startup it's normal to feel that way also because uh the borders have opened up like the talent is so great nowadays uh and you know you feel like hey there are so many talented people out there how am i going to kind of keep up in terms of you know my skill set and uh, um my ability to kind of uh, share my work and things like that Yeah, that, that's interesting because one one of the reasons that that I started the podcast, right, was because also like a lot of people felt like that, and I, and I could tell like when you do talks in public or whatever that people have this notion that everybody's so amazing, right, and that you stand on a stage and they're like, wow, yeah. dude, you have your you have all your stuff together, like you're really smart, and 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 as a person, most of us don't really feel that smart, right, uh, and 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 you realize <laughs> that a lot of people. Are struggling with that feeling, but what's interesting is that one of the advices that experts give to deal with with imposter syndrome, right, is that you look objectively at your achievements, right? Um, in your case, and what I found it so interesting that that you told me this is that you've worked in companies, uh, at least the, the the last one as well, is very successful. Chargeby recently raised uh, mm -hmm. uh, a Series yeah. F of 50 plus million, <laughs> right? So, do you think that being part of a successful business that's growing so fast? 
uh, yeah. helped your imposter syndrome or actually made it worse, right? Because, uh, uh, that's, yeah. I mean, it's not obvious. It seems like you would get like, oh, I'm doing a great job, but you also might get a little bit of like, we're doing great, but this is not really me doing this, is it? Right? Like you, so it might even make it worse. It. What's your experience with that? That's actually a really, really good question. Um, so I, I think that, you know, the experience with Charge B and the massive growth of the company has helped with this a lot personally for me. I think it can go the other way for some people. Mm -hmm. uh, but for me personally, just that validation, uh, you know, over the last five years and just seeing the company grow and seeing a lot of your efforts actually come to fruition and being, you know, contributing to that success. I think that's built up my confidence a lot. And I've had a lot more confidence now than I did, say, you know, five years ago before I started at ChargeB. Uh, I think it was also the nature of like the people that I work with, like the co-founders were such that they would always throw me in like these challenging situations and encourage me to like, you know, go in and shine there. And so that really helped like to have mentors or people who really back you and believe in you, I think really helps. Mm. Uh, but but a lot of the struggles that I was facing actually had nothing to do with the company. It was more personal, right? So it would all, almost be like, hey, okay, if, if there's a new problem that I need to solve, I'd question whether I can solve it or not. Externally, I wouldn't show that, right? I tell yeah. our co-founder, yes, I'm going to go solve it. But then internally, I'd be like a mental mess thinking like, oh God, like, I don't know if I can do this. And it was almost like in phases where, you know, I would jump in, try to work on that problem. And if things work out well, like if I'm, you know, succeeding in that phase or in that role, it kind of like my confidence would get built up again, right? So it's almost like ups and downs. I would say it's just rapid ups and downs. Yeah. Uh, the lows are like when you really have this imposter syndrome and question yourself. And then when something successful works out, it's then like a high. So it's a lot of highs and lows. Yeah. No, I, I think that's really true. And when you mentioned it's also really true, right? Like I wouldn't show it to the outside. And that's so interesting because like even as much as we preach in companies, right? Like we have a culture to fail and we help our people, yeah. what, whatever it is, we're always going to have our guards up, right? So it's not rare to be in a meeting where somebody's pitching a new project and five out of six people in that meeting room are actually not getting the half of what the people are saying, right? But they're all playing it cool and being like, oh yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, we should, you know what I mean? Because we're, we're, yeah. we're just so <laughs> reluctant to let our guards down and to say like, I actually have no clue what this is. Like, I don't understand that we, we prefer Googling it in our laptop while the meeting is running, right? Anything to not yeah. say like, I actually, I'm out of my depth here. I have no idea what this is. Um, have you yeah. over the years gotten better at that and just saying like, guys, I, this is over my head. Yeah, that's again a good question. So I think like personally at charge be like something that I also faced was that I was, I was a younger member uh, amongst the leadership team and that intimidated me uh, quite a bit sometimes that you know yeah. you, I think it's like uh, gender aside I think age is more of a factor here where you're like hey maybe I don't know as much right and there were instances where I would honestly like clam up and not say anything in a meeting um, <laughs> not necessarily because you know I didn't uh, want to participate but it was more like that imposter syndrome working in right like do you actually is, is what you're saying going to make sense in this meeting like it's better just to like not say anything if you don't have something valuable to say but I would walk out of those kinds of meetings feeling terrible like hey you know I felt like I could have added value why not add value and so those were kind of the phases that I had to work through and be like okay you know it's not an environment where you can't speak up so why is it that you're kind of pushing yourself down you need to be able to go in and speak up I think I got again got better with that over time yeah. uh, where I think especially towards uh, the later stages I started to speak up a lot more and you know deal learn how to deal with that myself 
Yeah, what's interesting is that most of us tend to think that what we do is really obvious, right? In marketing, nothing we, mm-hmm. nothing we do really is like rocket science, right? So nothing is something that you right. would, so everybody can have an opinion about the messaging you put in and out or whatever. Is this something, is there something particular about your work that makes you feel like, oh, are you guys really paying me for this? Like, this is like super obvious advice. Like, because sometimes you feel like, the, you know what I mean? Like what you're saying, yeah. especially as a manager, right? It's like, hey, should we go with this or that? And you're like, yeah, with this. And people are like, yeah, okay, cool. And you're like, was that a hard decision, right? And you don't realize that it actually takes experience to make those decisions, right? It's just that you don't appreciate it in yourself. Do you feel like that sometimes? Like, really, you're paying me for this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) In fact, I feel like that. I feel like this a lot um, with more public like talks and things like that that you know I've been doing off yet. Where, um, you know, a lot of the times I feel like, hey, you know, is this is what I'm sharing really something that's going to be adding value? Uh, I mean, I may later get messages saying like, hey, this was super useful. And at that point, I'm like, okay, that's when I pause and say, hey, you know, it doesn't matter. I, I think you shouldn't overanalyze your skills because what you know can always help someone out there, right? Because everyone's at different phases in learning in their career and not everyone may be like in a very advanced phase. Yeah. And so if you're paying it forward by just, you know, talking about things that may feel more basic to you, but they could actually end up be adding a lot of value to someone else. But I do feel like, you know, even outside of the context of work, when I'm uh, doing some of these talks, I do feel like, hey, uh, is this really of value? No, absolutely. (laughs) Like, and and one one thing that's interesting with this whole growth marketing rise that's been in the last in the last years, right, is that Mm Um, I like some things that came with it. Obviously, I'm also in, in that sort of the discipline, but uh, there's also some things that came with it that are not that great, in my opinion, right? So uh, one of the bad things is that there seems to be an idea, I, probably the people that have been doing this longer, not anymore, but in people that are new to this, absolutely, that there's people are like one individual is like the chosen one that will ramp up your growth in your business, when in reality, as you mentioned earlier, it's always a very collective effort, right? But when people have this idea in an organization, uh, two things happen. If the company does really well, people can get really full of themselves and be like, ah, oh, I can grow anything, mm-hmm. right? When actually <laughs> you just, I, I mean, it's a great product, right? And you would just was part of that team. Uh, and also when it's not doing well, you can be really, really harsh on yourself, right? Because you can be like, I was hired to yeah. grow this product. And because of me, this is not growing. When in reality, it's so much more complex than that, right? Have you felt like this when you have taken on growth roles, managing teams? Oh, absolutely. I think um, this is so important because um, in a growth role, I think it's never you operating in isolation, right? No matter how good or bad you may be at your job, um, a lot of your success is dependent on other team members and other peers who can help you be successful in your role. Uh, And I think like you need to have a leadership team right when they're hiring, like right off the bat, who understand that a role within growth or within marketing is highly interdependent. And there needs to be alignment across other leadership and across like other peers inside of the organization to ensure that like everyone's on the same page that to succeed as a company or to succeed to hit like a specific revenue target, everyone needs to be rowing in the same direction and needs to be lifting each other up, right? If if there's internal competition and everyone's trying to pull each other down, that's not going to work, right? And so it, uh, I think like having that mindset and understanding that like your success is not always in your hands is important. I, I think it's also important to like balance that with saying, hey, whatever is in within your control, you need to give it that 200%. Um, so you when you walk away from it, you feel like, hey, I gave it my 200%. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, you should acknowledge that 
giving it your 200% and seeing the results that you want to see are two different things because seeing the results you want to see depend on other factors which may not be in your control but that's that's such a good exercise when we're talking about imposter syndrome right because i think a, a big part of it it's it's related to, yeah. to like people bearing that weight on their shoulders and just being like hey like this is because of me and yeah often there are so many things we don't control right and i believe another important part of this and you mentioned this at the beginning um it's comparing yourself to others right we live in a, yeah. in, a in a i don't know when when i was a kid i'm i'm 36 now and when i was a kid uh, my dad didn't have linkedin right that he couldn't see if all of the other managers in his area were doing great or were moving companies, right? Like you, you, yeah. you, you were not exposed to that stuff, right? So you were just like, I do my job, yeah. I come home, I talk to my kids and you, you didn't have that pressure. And that pressure has yeah. leaked from our personal life into our professional life with like platforms like LinkedIn yeah. and others. So everybody's writing articles, making podcasts like, like myself, you know, everybody says that they're going to retire when they're 35 and exiting from a major IPO with a unicorn and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. How much of a role of everybody uh, claiming how amazing they are in social do you think has influenced your particular imposter syndrome? Do you think that has affected you hard or is it something that you're a bit immune to? I think now I'm immune to it. Like now, honestly, it's like noise for me. Yeah. <laughs> Where it's almost a joke, right? Like I joke about it with my husband. Like it's, we just like see it too often that it's like it feels uh, LinkedIn almost sometimes feels like a, a hot mess that you kind of want to stay away from mostly. But like, I mean, not to say that there's great content. I think a lot of people who are posting content on LinkedIn and like, for example, this podcast, right? I, I find a lot of great podcasts on LinkedIn. Um, and so I wouldn't like diss the platform and say, hey, you know, shouldn't post on LinkedIn. I do it myself. Uh, but I think it's like important to have that balance because sometimes these posts can get very self-promotional and, yeah. uh, you know, We're gonna touch upon so, that, so yeah. I can't, <laughs> so I can tend to look at them with a little bit of cynicism sometimes. Um, I'd say like, honestly, this doesn't affect my imposter syndrome as much. It did, I think initially when it started picking up, but sometimes I guess like sometimes now and then when you see an update, you might feel like, oh damn, you know, that's, <laughs> that's working out really well for someone else. Yeah. You know, I wish this could work out better for me, but like, these are just natural things in life. I think everyone has their, you know, ups and downs, but I definitely think social media is a contributor for people generally to have lower self-esteem these days. Well, so that's a perfect segue with the second pain that you mentioned, right? Which was keeping up with this social media in a professional way right like mm -hmm. not, not for your personal instagram but in professionally uh it is really hard to be an executor and an influencer at the same time right like both of you and i you said oh you just said you're married i'm married as well like if you want to have any life there's just no freaking way of doing it right like you are working all like nine ten hours a day whatever it is and all of a sudden you also are supposed to put out content every two minutes uh to to start influencing so that's very difficult how do you cope with that pressure or or do you feel that pressure? Honestly, this is, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's a super complex thing. Um, I feel like there's a big, so there are different degrees of complexity when you consider people inside of, I'm specifically, uh, specifically speaking from the side of marketing. Yeah. Uh, so if you look at an individual contributor versus a manager, right? I felt like when I was an individual contributor, I had no time, right? Like I had literally no time like go out there and like evangelize you know what i was working on and things like that yeah. because i was just so busy heads down doing my work uh and then when that role changed into a manager and uh, at charge be actually the most recent role i held was one where it, it kind of was an evangelism role where i had to work a lot with startups and you know um, 
um, advise startup founders and things like that. And so it almost became natural for me to have to start taking on a more public personality and like, you know, start posting my work more often. And suddenly I realized like, wow, you know, there are a lot of things that I've learned along the way. If I had started posting, like say five years ago, I would have probably built up a following, like a yeah. large, much larger following. But, you know, taking it up now means, that, but then I realized that like, hey, I just didn't have time before, right? When I had a large team of eight people uh, working with me and, you know, where everyone was sharing the responsibility, there became a lot more time for this. But before that, there was just no time. I think the complexity today is that like, there's no option, right? Like it's almost like, Hey, to be perceived as a successful marketer or to be like given that check, uh, check mark, right? They like the green tick. Uh, you need to be able to like go out there and share your work, which can be super complex for people who are just too busy executing and want to actually produce good work for the organizations that they're employed by. Yeah, that's interesting because like LinkedIn and our email inboxes and pretty much every channel, it's getting really, really noisy, right? And, and people are publishing a lot yeah. of stuff. Some of it is worthless. Some of it is really interesting. Uh, but often people also get into like, hey, the only way to be seen is to post every day. And to be honest yeah. with you, there is no freaking way I would have something interesting to say every day. There's, there's just no way. Exactly. <laughs> so, so then you end yeah. up with a lot of bullshit being published and stuff like that. I personally <laughs> yeah. often feel like, you know what? I'm just going to do my job, screw this. Uh, if I do my job well, opportunities will find me anyway. I'm going to just like not be on this stuff. But I do feel like, you know, like I might be missing out on opportunities because you're, you're simply not yeah. visible. Do you subscribe to the idea that, as you were saying before, like it is pretty much a must to do this nowadays? Or do you think that if you do a good enough job, opportunities will always find you regardless of you doing this or not? I think um, I think it's important to keep up. To be honest, as cynical as I am about this whole thing, it's a little, it maybe even a it's a dilemma we all face. I do it yeah. myself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I honestly think that it's important to do it, and especially from the perspective of being a woman, actually. So this, uh, you know, when I was at Chargebee, we had our investor Shelly Perry come in and give a talk, and she was mm -hmm. talking about like how women have this tendency to just keep their heads down and type away, right? Like we're doing a great job. Um, but we never, we rarely ever raise our hand and talk about it and say like, Hey, look at what I'm working yeah. on. Right. And I feel like social media has given us this, you know, pretty cool opportunity to go out there and actually talk about some of the work that we're doing. And I feel like it's really important as a woman to do that because, um, otherwise I think you're going to hit a ceiling where men kind of continue to do it, right? You could be sitting down and keeping your head down, yeah. but the man is still going to kind of raise their hand and keep posting on social media and get ahead, make a network because of that. Uh, one of the things that I think has been the most beneficial for me with social media is actually building a solid network, right? People that I can, uh, you know, lean on for help or assistance. Or like if, you know, uh, if I'm looking for specific advice on something, I think social media has really enabled that for me. And I think it's important for women to have that network to kind of secure their own careers and grow up uh, the ladder, you know? So I, I would say, I still think as much as annoying as it can be, I think carving out like a nice schedule for yourself where, you know, you're not overdoing it, uh, but you're still doing it enough that you're able to like, you know, share what you're working on, share your success. Oh, and it's challenging, right? It's like also that's where your imposter syndrome kicks in at full force, right? And you feel like everything you write, it just sounds moronic and you're like, oh God, do I really have to yeah. share it? But I think honestly... Yeah, I, I talked about this before in the podcast, but pretty much every episode, I feel like it wasn't that great. And then usually you get nice comments, right? So I think the best advice is just like, get yourself out there, get it done. Uh, somebody will always think you're exactly. an idiot. It's unavoidable, right? Uh, and just live with that. It's fine. 
Absolutely. And I would honestly look at it as a learning experience, right? It's yeah. like writing. The more you write and the more you publish uh, every day, you're going to get uh, get to be a better writer and you're going to go figure out how to become a better writer, right? And so whether that's writing like, you know, short like tweets or whether that's actually writing a post where you're thinking deeply about, okay, what did I learn from this one thing that I did that would help somebody else? you're still using your brain and you're trying to figure out how to help someone else and so i think there is a learning process in this whole thing if you don't overdo it and have the right intentions behind why you want to do it yeah for me the biggest issue with with social media and i agree with you in everything you've said but it's that most people i believe use it to brand themselves as you were mentioning before right so it's yeah. all about preaching how yeah. to do things like i rarely see somebody going in and saying hey i have no clue what i'm doing how do i set up my adwords account Right, that that usually is like that direct message because if you put it out there, you're gonna yeah. look like an idiot, right? Uh, and and there's what I see the most is like, hey, this is how I do it because I'm so cool. So this is how you kill growth with your amazing setup, right? So everybody's preaching mm -hmm. how amazing they are more than really mm -hmm. engaging in like, hey, why don't we help each other out? I'm struggling with this. All that happens internally, and what happens outside and is visible for everybody is like, hey, I'm so cool. Check this out, right? Um, yeah, yeah. I, how do you? What what do you how do you feel about that? Because in a way, we all want to seem smart, and we all want to seem like we have we have our stuff together. But the most value we can probably get from these platforms is asking and is saying like, "Hey guys, I don't know about this. Do you guys know a good person that can help me with this? Have you tried that at some point? Uh, I maybe in Twitter this is more common than it is on LinkedIn. Um, how do you feel about being vulnerable in terms of not knowing stuff publicly? Yeah. So I think it differs platform to platform. I feel like the if you go back to like the foundations of LinkedIn and why LinkedIn even exists as a platform, it's to promote yourself professionally or to like find your next perfect gig, right? Yeah. It's like a recruiter platform. You're on it because you want to look like good to all the potential recruiters out there and so on. And so I feel like there's a little, you know, there's it's 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 so much more fake than even like Twitter because you are trying to keep your best foot forward. And because you know recruiters or like potentials, yeah. uh, potential like managers at your new company are looking at what you're posting, you definitely don't maybe don't want to feel vulnerable, right? And so I think that's why we probably see this a bit more at in um, LinkedIn versus Twitter, where I still feel like a lot of the conversations, it still feels like an echo chamber sometimes, Twitter, uh, you know, to, to me personally. Yeah. But I feel like a lot of the conversations can still have good takeaways because the intention of Twitter was not to be about promoting your career, but it was it was meant to be about having good conversations, right? So I do find good stuff, like good threads, AMA threads on Twitter. Mm. Uh, I would also say like a lot of good stuff happens in private communities. So this is really interesting because it goes back to your point about be being vulnerable. I think people are more comfortable being vulnerable inside closed groups, right? right. That's just human nature. You don't want to appear like you don't know anything in front of a large group versus when you're with a close set of people who you feel comfortable with. Um, and so I feel like a lot of these good conversations happen in like private Facebook groups. And um, so now we see a lot of independent communities being set up. I'm part of one called Forget the Funnel, which I just joined last week. It's a group for SaaS marketers. Yeah. And it's super helpful because like it's very honest. People actually talk about the struggles that they're facing inside of their company and get advice from other marketers on how to deal with those obstacles often some of the stuff is confidential and you can't even say it on a public platform right and so the good stuff i think really happens or like the really useful conversations happen in these private forums yeah what's interesting is that there's just so much like we've been talking about putting out your own content right but what about keeping up with other people's content right like it's it's the fomo that this generates right like 
Um, I'm starting yeah. to make peace by now with the fact that I just cannot catch up with everything I'd like to. Like my my book list is just endless. I'm gonna end like finish up reading when I'm 89. Uh, you know, I so <laughs> at some point I feel like, hey, I would prefer just putting my time in like creating than in consuming. Mm -hmm. right but then you mm -hmm. also get that form of like yeah but there's this great article everybody's talking about and i haven't read it so i'm missing out on learning on whatever um do you also get that form or is that one that is already a bit more under control in your case of like I, i'm okay if i don't read every article that's out there yeah i do get that form i think i definitely in, in sas especially there's like a lot of obsession around like keeping up with all the latest books that are out there and for good reason i mean you can learn a lot from books but i also often feel like a lot of these things can't be prescribed right what an author is writing in a book it's meant it's meant for you to think about it and take away like your own perspectives and form your opinion but there's never any prescription on a lot of these things yeah. like personally for me the most of my learnings have come from just implementing getting feedback from other colleagues or customers directly uh, and then you know that is my validation on whether i've learned something or not or whether i've like executed something well or not um so i try to focus a lot of my time on executing but then also kind of updating my knowledge uh, by reading like i have like a list of like you know the go tos that i always go to when i'm looking for something yeah um and so i try to balance that out but there is definitely fomo i think we can't avoid it with so much content coming out these days yeah cuz i mean growth marketers have become like 20 jobs in one right people expect you to be like a a neuropsychologist and and also know about everything design ux like cro yeah. everything and at some point you just need to make peace of well first of all focus what you keep up with and what you don't keep up with And just understand that Correct. there's like most of the value you can bring to the table. It's it's more on a level that is not about the it's not about how you optimize your bidding in your ad, right? It's it's way more strategic. Yeah. The value that you can really bring in, absolutely. And and that is not that comes from experience. So I think that's a good part as well. But um, in a bit more like business pain related, you also mentioned like, and this one is really interesting for me because I've really struggled with this one. It's like balancing short term versus long-term initiatives, mm -hmm. right? Those things that are like just going to bring in uh, with the whole growth mindset, right? We've glorified hacks yeah. and experiments. You test quickly and you find that silver bullet that is going to like bring in immediate results. Like when you join a new company, you want to bring results right away. That's like kind of something that's engraved in people's heads now. Um, but long-term initiatives like that might not deliver immediate results are really, really key to achieving sustainable growth over time. Um, mm -hmm. When you've managed teams, how much of a pain has this been? Uh, uh, to like actually make this separation between the long-term things and the, and the short-term things? Yeah, it's been a big um, pain for sure. I think like I still don't have a solution for it, to be honest. Oh, thank I God, because I don't either. And I, and I thought you were going to just like be amazing on it. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I think it's going to be an eternal dilemma because I honestly don't even know if there's like a right solution for something like this. I mean, you're always going to have to grow a business especially in the nature of startups where you know you need to achieve or you're looking to achieve 100% year on your growth but at the same time you want to like invest in things that compound over time and will bring you growth like the next year right so i yeah. think it's an endless dilemma um one thing i think depending on the stage of the startup you can do is like figure out where like figure out what your personal growth model should be right like there are some startups that believe a lot in long term growth strategies and their financing model is such as well right why they while they where they may not raise massive amounts of capital which means that they need to have more sustainable growth options yeah. in these kinds of startups i think it's easier to just go with the long term like don't be a marketer who joins a startup that has this sustainable mindset 
but wants to focus on the short term stuff right because the nature of the business is such and i'm sure the founders will be on the same page that like you can invest in the longer term yeah, yeah. things and you should right if you are in a startup that has you know is is looking to grow very aggressively i think a good way to balance that personally for me has been like figuring out how to spread out your resources right like if you have limited internal full time resources throw them towards like maybe the shorter term work or depending on the skills that they have like assign short term work to them yeah. uh, and then figure out like if you can you leverage freelancers or partners you know to work with on the longer term solutions so like keeping that balance so that you always have some folks working on short term initiatives and some working on long inside of your team um i think is like a good way to make sure you have both running because i don't think you should neglect one over the other uh, it's really important to have long term initiatives running while you're doing like for example paid ads is like a super short term thing right but it can give you massive growth in a very short span of time and so maybe you would decide that investing in someone a hire who does paid ads fully internally is a good call but then i think you should also invest in someone who can work on content whether that's a freelancer or whether that's internal right so then the content is kind of evergreen and builds up over time so i think like just managing your talent and your resources to ensure that someone is working on the long term things or thinking about the long term things could be one way of like dealing with that yeah no absolutely i think that's really interesting there's a lot of like things to unpack there and one of the things is that um you know with the whole experimentation mindset as you said like people we have this idea we we tend to look for for recipes right so we tend to look for yeah. things that we can just repeat straight from a book into my work and then I'll be successful. Um and one of those are experiments. So you see a lot of people debating about for example the difference between an experiment and a project. Yeah, well an experiment is something way more scientific, <laughs> right? And you put like your your lab coat and and you go in and you experiment and the other one is like the boring stuff that you do like keeping up with your social media or, what, or whatever it is, right? Like do you do that yeah. that separation internally in your teams or you treat every project equally whether it's short or it's long and everything kind of like flows uh in between and it's not something that's so separately structured um i would recommend like i i personally like structure them in such a way that you know the starting with the goals right so for example a long term project has very different goals from a short term experiment yeah. like you can't expect like the same things of but it has goals so, right that's really key but it has goals it because people are like yeah but this is it a long term thing and we we just have to do it right no. there needs to be a goal attached to it absolutely you're working towards something right and like thinking about that big picture and like looking at like you know looking at how it's going to span out over time and grow over time is really important mm. so i generally like to like segment that out and say okay for the longer term projects why are we doing it i think why are we doing it is really important and that has to be backed by some kind of research and some numbers right so is there a specific reason uh, for investing in this specific long term project and if so what are our goals split up by like q1 q2 q3 and q4 and the end of the year right like what is the long term target that you want to achieve and how is the team going to measure themselves against that target say every quarter or every month and i think it's important to have those goals because otherwise what happens is you just do it and you lose sight of it and you know a year later you might feel like hey this isn't really giving us the kind of impact why are we spending resources on this right um so i like to definitely start by measuring or like stating the goals for longer term projects and for shorter term experiments as well you know stating the goals but i think it's important not to over engineer projects and you know look too much at the numbers because yeah. 
you need to learn how to quickly you know just assess a few top level metrics and decide whether it's working or not working and move on to the next absolutely and, and, and you touch upon a, an important topic which is uh, also the team structure right how you need to like mm -hmm. leverage freelancers i mean if you need to keep both things running and you have a, a small team it's like five people or less uh you, yeah. you simply have tried everything around that setup right like i've said like hey guys for uh mondays and tuesdays you're gonna run these experiments and then the rest of the week we work like all sorts of combinations and it's just as you said in the beginning i don't think i've I, i've gotten correctly uh what the setup should be yeah but from your experience um what is the how would you structure a team do you prefer that there's a team that's like experimenting on short-term stuff that's completely separated from the team that does the longer-term stuff do you prefer to mix those up how how in your experience that has worked better for you Yeah, I think it's uh, personally in my experience, I feel like it's best to keep them separate uh, because what can happen is if you're having the same team member work on like a short term versus long term project, they can kind of feel really confused, right? Like and conflicted, like what is expected of me? Like one. So if, if they are balancing, say, like a Google AdWords campaign along with like some other longer term project. It's very hard to like switch context between these two things. So just to give you an example, a charge be uh, uh, so within my growth team there was a split up where we had uh, two people working on community, right? And community is a very long term game. Yeah. Like you're building a community to have, you know, it's going to build long term outcome and brand value over time, right? Um, and so that team was entirely focused on that, and I felt like the results of that were great simply because. They spent day in and day out thinking about like how do I build you know the best community for founders out there and you know it's called Relay and it's already seeing a um, lot of success uh, and then I had members of the team who were also working on shorter term projects which are which were going to like move the bottom line much faster right or going to impact the bottom line much faster um, and so I felt like that structure was really helpful because each person in the team had a clear idea on what it is that was expected of them and was able to like tweak their role to kind of match that. Mm. Well, I also find that works well fairly well when you have a small team, right? And you don't have like a designer for each one of those buckets or a developer for each one of those buckets, and you have to share resources. Yeah. What I usually try to yeah. do is that there's a side of the team that is a bit more, for lack of a better word, like focus on more like branding, right? So that they are more focused on like mm -hmm. long-term game, creating content all the time. And then there's another side of the team that's experimenting more in performance marketing. But what I find right. works really well is that that performance marketing team doesn't request things from the other team for their experiments. They actually piggyback on the things the team has already created, right? Because that gives, mm -hmm. that releases your designers yeah. or developers or whatever to keep working on the next stuff as this team leverages what they've already released. When you make that performance team request assets and request design and request whatever from that team, like on real time as they experiment, then that other team never has the time to actually like, To focus. Yeah, to write that 150-page ebook that they need to write, right? Because they're always exactly. going to be delivering a creative for a display ad instead of like doing that, right? So to separate exactly. those two streams yeah. for me has worked well. I don't know if that's the case for you. Absolutely. I think like if you have the luxury of being able to build out a larger team, then the way you structure it can kind of also just be based on the job functions that you build. For example, content marketing by nature is a much longer term play, but then within content marketing, you can have one person who's just focused purely on the blog and eBooks. And, you know, those are long, mm. long pieces, right. Versus someone whose role it is to be like an enabler to sales yeah. and build like sales collateral. And like a lot of these shorter term things that are going to like 
add to pipeline right like webinar content and so on so like hiring specialists for each of these roles i think really helps because within each of those specialist roles are the kpis that uh which are either like the short term or the long term kpis right depending on the role um so i think you have if you have that luxury to be able to build it out then just you know the 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 function or the role in itself takes care of this takes yeah. care of a lot of this All right, and last last point on this topic, right? I think one of the biggest issues I've seen in growth teams as well, and I've struggled with myself, is also scaling wins, right? Because you experiment, you experiment, you experiment, you get a little win here, a little win there, and then you're like, who makes mm-hmm. sure that this gets scaled and scaled and scaled for years to come, so we can keep leveraging that? You try to push that over to other teams. You say, hey, this works, so now you take care of it. Uh, most often, things kind of like. Don't get scaled as they should, right? I I found very little uh, cases in which that's the case. How, has that been a struggle for you as well, or is this something that you already feel like you've cracked? No, I think this is a constant struggle. I think in terms of the scale, um, figuring out like who's going to scale it next. I think with growth teams, it's like we we spoke about because it's so collaborative. There's usually like let's say you're running an experiment for onboarding in the product, right? And you see like some kind of positive. results in that experiment you need the product team or like the ideal next step would be for the product team to take that little baby and then implement it inside the app and take it forward right and scale yeah. it. um but that can get conflicting now if you look at the kpis because product managers may be more focused on shipping specific features that customers are requesting yep. and not necessarily looking at your product onboarding hack yep. right and so that's why um i think this is a constant problem but i think here is where there needs to be a lot of internal evangelism that has to happen so a lot of my time uh, at chargebee in this role was also spent on educating others inside of the organization on why a specific experiment that we were running or the results of a specific experiment was important right and getting that leadership buy in or getting like the your other peers to buy into that kind of creates that excitement to say hey this is important and they've already got like base results let's take it and you know take it forward so i think from the growth leaders perspective there has to be a lot of time and investment that goes into uh putting together the results of that experiment and making sure that there's an owner to take it forward and convincing and doing a good job of convincing everyone else inside the company you know that yeah. this this thing deserves to be scaled is your said that done huh that's that's a that's a really Definitely. tough struggle um <laughs> this, yeah Yeah, this is one of the hardest things I'd say. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, in in having a growth position, building all those bridges, right? So that takes us to our last yeah. pain of the day, which is measuring brand marketing efforts, right? Uh, I think that instead of going right away into like how you measure this and KPIs or so on, I think what's interesting is that this issue comes down to accepting that even though there are some ways of measuring the impact of brand initiatives. You should not expect the level of granularity that you can measure with your CPC campaigns, right? Like, because it's just simply not possible. If people in your organization expect that at the end of the quarter you'll go, I can say with a hundred percent certainty that these twenty deals came from this branding campaign, then you might need to set expectations before even discussing this, right? So, have you dealt with like a team that demands this kind of granularity from from every penny you spend in marketing, even when it's more branding related? uh and and how have you dealt with that or how much of a pain has it been yeah so first off i think that that clarity definitely needs to be there when you join any new startup team if you're joining as a brand marketer or looking to scale a brand channel because yeah. i think you're set up for failure if your team or your manager expects that you're going to be able to see short term results right goes back to a short term long term thing right um so 
I think like we need to as marketers we need to accept that some things honestly can't be measured. I know this is a very unpopular So many things uh, because with me is very popular. <laughs> Give me more of that. <laughs> yeah, no cuz I've heard so many people say that oh you can measure everything in marketing. I strongly disagree because I think that um things like a brand brand marketing cannot be measured, right? Like David Ogilvy wasn't able to like measure every ad campaign that he put out but like you know Ogilvy had some of the best ad campaigns in the world. Yeah. yeah. uh and so i think we need to we need to have other proxies like i'm not saying that as a brand marketer you shouldn't look at any kind of metrics uh but you need to look at the right metrics that kind of indicate success for example if you're working on like a blog publication of sorts you want to look at like how many people are actually talking about that and sharing it and valuing the content right maybe leaving reviews even if you have that option right versus actually looking at how many clicks and leads am i generating from this uh you know onto my website and i think if you do that like if you approach content marketing as you know something as like generating a lot of short term leads you're not going to get the best ma- content no. marketers on your team because be they're going to want to lead yeah you're going right? to be hacking seo the 10 things to do when and it's going to just be completely meh exactly some of the best content marketers that i've worked with and i've seen have not necessarily uh, you know been focused on lead gen in fact they, their focus is just writing great content that's backed by research that everyone in their target market is going to read and talk about yeah. and that's their that's what gives them happiness right so as a manager if you're going to demand leads from them you're just going to you know keep someone really unhappy in the role and they're going to leave so i think uh, it's really important as a marketing leader to again go back to the, what is your short term activity and what is the long term set of activities you want to run and figure out like the kpis for each of these and the type of people you need to run each of these because i think the type of people you hire for each of these different things are kind of remarkably different yeah. to keep them happy and successful in the role you need to understand that yeah i think what, for me one of the biggest pains when talking about this topic is is the obsession people have with attribution right because uh we should mm-hmm. look at this much simpler like i mean if you start investing heavily in branding initiatives and 3 months in uh we start seeing more inbound requests shorter sales cycle increased direct traffic like more word of mouth like that should already be really good but we cannot figure out accurately if things came from that so people will say well we know that people love that video series you're making uh but you've spent x and what is the direct return mm-hmm. from that which exact deals have come from that right and 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 in a yeah. b2b environment when there's so many offline and and online touch points and people share printed things and they take screenshots of things all of these things that you cannot yeah. measure um that seems insane right like you cannot say that something is not working because you don't see in your hubspot setup that that deal uh came yeah. directly from that video right have you had have you had to deal with that attribution obsession a little bit as well or or ha- have you been a bit more lucky in that sense Oh uh, no I think I have definitely had to deal with it um I think I I've, I've been lucky enough to have uh, worked with founders who kind of definitely believe in brand and like investing in brand um but I think there are times when you know you really have to like figure out like okay how am I able to um kind of back up the claim that investing in a particular thing is important right and the the question for like okay what data do we have to suggest that this thing is important is always there right and i've always experienced that uh, i think like a lot of these attribution tools and like attribution modeling can help with that in the sense that they help you or they want to help you be able to attribute where a lot of these leads are coming from i just don't think we've cracked it yet like a lot of these yeah. tools honestly haven't cracked it right like if they are not able to track users across like google or facebook they're not necessarily able like how do you track 
um, whether your swag that you send somebody is like reached another prospect in another location, right? It's like really hard through yeah. word of mouth. I mean, honestly, uh, so I think like yeah, yeah, part of me just hopes we never crack it. To be honest with you, uh, because because <laughs> when when we can measure everything, we just go stupid. Like we're just like, hey, if I don't see direct ROI here, then I'm gonna kill the campaign. Like and we stop we stop just thinking like people. Yeah, absolutely. But I personally been kind of interested in figuring out like how can we build a model to measure something like content marketing? You know, a, a more scientific model. I still don't believe that you can measure everything, but I would still like to measure a lot more uh, than what I've seen in the past being measured. Right. So I do yeah. think that there's opportunity for marketers to get a lot better with like piecing things together, like engagement data and things like that together to get better at this. But I do definitely don't think that we can like crack it to a hundred percent. Yeah, because what's interesting to me is that we seem so sure that performance marketing is being flawlessly measured, right? Because advertising platforms show mm -hmm. us these uh, fancy numbers there, so we see how many people. Yeah. But how many people are actually seeing an Instagram ad and just screenshotted it, like never interacted with it? How many people just saw it and told a friend about it? Uh, all things. Exactly. How many people are like being blocked because they use all sorts of Chrome extensions on their browser, right? There's so many gaps, and we just love assuming that we have the absolute truth when we look at our metrics from a performance marketing campaign, right? And that's really not true. Yeah, and then we yeah. try to hold those standards to branding it, and it gets even worse. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I think that's so true. And like that sets you up for failure in the sense that you're not going to take on any of the other brand marketing stuff because you're going to want to always measure them and they're not going to give you that kind of uh, insight, exactly. right? And you'll, you'll then end up uh, being a company that's only testing ads and only using paid marketing and these measurable channels, which I think in the long term, you'll hit a growth ceiling. Like you, you need to have brand uh, supplementing a lot of this to continue growing. But this is interesting because I, I am a believer and with this one, we close up the, the topic is that um, to build a truly unique brand, you need to have a certain portion of your marketing spend. Some people say 30%, 20%, whatever it is that you don't put to a, such a heavy scrutiny scrutiny as you put the other money that you spend. Yes. You just need to say, hey, yes. this 200K, I'm not, I'm going to spend them wildly. I'm going to try different things. I'm just going to go out of the comfort zone and I will resist the temptation to scrutinize it like this is a PPC channel, right? I'm going to just be happy if the engagement is high, if people tell me that they love it, uh, and that will be my success for this. Uh, that's obviously the worst possible thing you can tell a CFO. It will just sound like harp, like, like hippie <laughs> marketing bullshit. But have you been able to put this in practice? Right? Have you been able to say, "Hey, this chunk of money, don't ask me what happened with it. I'm just gonna spend it and yes. try different things." Yeah, I charge me definitely. I think especially in my latest growth role, I think uh, the our co-founder embraced it in a way that it was like okay, we're working on growth. Growth is really abstract. There are a lot of things going on. We don't know necessarily what it means. So take this budget and just test it out and then come back with like data, right? So that when we say data, I don't mean like, oh, did this click or like did, did yeah. the person click on this ad or did they, you know, it's more like, okay, at a broad level, what is our perception of what, you know, uh, what like capital we invested. And so I did have that playground, but I know that everyone is not as lucky to have that playground. Yeah. Um, it's important to try to address that with like your leadership or with your manager, um, you know, when you're in a role like this to make sure that you have some of that playground, because I think that really sparks creative freedom, right? Like it's going to help you figure out like how to fix yeah. uh, the brand problem in very creative ways. Yeah, and there, there are so many things that are enjoyed that I are not engaged with, right? Like I'm, I'm personally, I'm the kind of people that I enjoy a lot of stuff I see online and I never put like on it because it's just not, I'm not like a clicking like kind of guy. 
so there's there's so yeah. much positive <laughs> impact that you're having and in, in people that you're not measuring, right? So I think you make a really solid point when you say have data. And yes, you need to have some data, but please do not ask me that I tell you that this exact dollar came from that exact other dollar that I put in because that's when things just completely derail, right? Like I cannot get that yeah. dollar. Yeah, and I think Chartmobile has also had a very similar kind of mindset where it's always been about like investing and building a brand. And so they've, you know, we've seen that like kind of uh, work over time as well, where uh, it's always been about providing value to customers and not necessarily scrutinizing every penny that's been spent. And I think that mindset is so important in building trust with customers, because that means you're going to put out like the best work and be focused on putting out the best work versus optimizing for every lead. A hundred percent. All right, Karishma, it's been really, really fun, but it, the time has gone really quickly. So we need to start wrapping it up. Um we asked the, the guests at the end to recommend some resources. So do you have something for the audience that you would like to share? Yeah, sure. I, I love listening to the How I Built This podcast on NPR. That's like one of my go-tos because I feel like in that podcast, it's also, it's, it's like you get a lot of uh, diverse opinions. It's not always, you know, founders in SaaS or founders in tech. Like you get a lot of interesting perspectives on how businesses are built. Yeah. And so it sparks like a lot of, you know, creative thought. Uh, in terms of podcasts, I also love Planet Money. Um, uh, you know, it, no. it's a great, oh, it's a great economics podcast. So they again like cover a lot of like recent events in the world and kind of deconstruct, you know, those different events. And I think the commentary on that podcast is just fantastic. Um, and then I'd say like my other go-to resource within SaaS and within like management uh, is First Round Review. Have you heard of First First yeah. Round's blog? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love their editing and I really like like their stuff. I also have a background in behavioral science, so I love reading psychology books like, you know, Dan Ariely, yeah. Daniel Kahneman, and so on. Yeah, I love reading, like going back to the world of psychology and kind of, you know, reading reading up what academics, like what perspectives academics have to offer. That's super cool. Cool recommendations. I'm going to keep in the, in the podcast arena and I'm going to recommend, we were talking about mental health quite a bit at the beginning. So there's a Harvard Business Review podcast called The Anxious Achiever, which is really interesting because it's about anxiety uh, and mental health in the workplace. Mm -hmm. I think that one is it, it's super, super interesting. I also recommended a similar one last episode, but I'm a bit hang up on this topic. So excuse me if you have listened to, to both of them. But that's it. It's been really, really fun to have you. I feel like we could have uh, sp spent so much more time speaking. I actually had to like kill a few questions I had there because, uh, uh -huh. but hopefully maybe we can do another episode later on. It's been really, really fun. Absolutely. I've loved this conversation. I have to say it's like, it's been very different from the other podcasts I've done, but Good. I really thoroughly enjoyed it. <laughs> Thanks <laughs> the for The thing having is, me. I don't listen to that many podcasts. So I think when I did this, I didn't really follow a lot of the, of the norm, but it's been great to have you and hope you, you have a really fun ride at, at Mogul. Big fan of the product. Uh, and hopefully you guys do really well the coming year. And thank you so and much. And then you can come back home to Toronto. Finally, uh, can you, you can take a flight back. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much. It's been great being on this. Okay. Bye, everybody. Hope to see you for the next episode. Talk to you soon. Bye.